Well, good evening, Grace Church. I'm going to give everybody just a minute to settle in here. It's good to hear all of you visiting and to hear the excitement in the room. And I'm glad you're glad to be at church. I'm glad you're glad to see one another. That's wonderful. Wonderful. So once again, welcome. Those of you joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, welcome. Glad you've chosen to be a part of our service this evening. And we hope that it is a blessing to you. How's everybody feeling tonight? Everybody good? You've probably already done this, but look at your neighbor and tell them you're glad to see them in church. Amen. I'm just, I'm pausing here a minute. I'm giving everybody a chance to, to gather in and have a seat. I've got a quite a, a couple of things, quite a few things here I really want to talk to you about before we move forward with our service. And I just want to make sure everybody's got a chance to settle in and listen. And if you need to make a note or two, type something in on the calendar on your phone or jot it down, uh, certainly feel free to do that. There's a good bit of information coming your way, so spoiler alert there. Um, this coming Sunday is our Connect Group Fair right after church, um, right after the altar service. It'll be over in the Alexander Center. So broadly, of course, we want everybody to come and check out the connect groups that will be um, that will be conducted during the spring semester and see if there's one for you, see if there's one you would like to join and be a part of. I will tell you that our connect groups this semester will run for 10 weeks, you know, starting March the 4th, 10 weeks all the way through, but you won't be meeting every week, and uh, this is uh, important. Um, it'll be, most of the connect groups will be either once or twice a month. Um, so we understand everybody has a very busy schedule, but we do want to carve out some time for these connect groups because we believe they're very important. And we'll talk more about that as the, as the kickoff date uh, gets closer. So remember that. I want you to come by and check out the connect groups on Sunday after church. But more specifically, if you would like to host a connect group, if you would like to be a connect group leader, and if you've been a connect group leader in the past, I'm calling on you because you know what it's all about. We've, we've had some very successful semesters in the past, uh, so we would love for you to come back. All of our, our prior connect group leaders did an outstanding job. You know the vision. You know what we're trying to accomplish. So I'm inviting you back. If you've never done one and would like to give it a try, you're welcome to do that as well. And so uh, we're calling all Connect Group leaders, bottom line. Uh, but this is what I want you to get. If you're, if you're wanting to host one, if you want to be a Connect Group leader, tomorrow there's going to be a, a text sent out from the church, and it will be a link for you to sign up. So we need your name. We need the name of your Connect Group. There's a few other little details that I asked for. That comes to me, and I'll be contacting you. I'll be getting with you. Uh, what we need is make sure you have space for the Connect Group Fair on Sunday and, and make sure you have all you need for that and show you how we're going to have you sign, have people sign up for your Connect Group. So be on the lookout for that link tomorrow if, you're a connect, if you want to be a Connect Group leader. Uh, very important. Okay, let's, let's keep moving. Don't forget 21 Days of Sacrifice, March 19th through March 10th. That's this coming Monday is when that starts, and we've been announcing this. It's getting close, and we want to spend this time as a church seeking the Lord and sacrificing to the Lord uh, for his continued hand upon our church and for 
revival. Amen. Now, let's go to the next thing, and I've got, got some things you may want to jot down here. Dr. Rhea Cooper will be with us, not this coming weekend, but next. That's February 23rd through 25th, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But I want you to listen to how that um, schedule is going to go for the weekend. On Friday night, February 23rd, there will be a leadership dinner in the A Center at 7 p.m. All right. And Dr. Cooper is going to be speaking to all of our leaders. So how do you know if you're a leader? Well, you're a leader if you have a title behind your name. So, you know, Sunday school teacher, usher, hostess, uh, media, you know, praise team. If you have a title behind your name, you're a leader. So this dinner, this leadership dinner is for all of our leaders and their spouses. Okay, all of the leaders and their spouses. We would also like to invite our JV team, because our JV team are also leaders. Amen. So 12 and up, 12 and up, JV team, JV leaders, you are also welcome to the banquet or to the dinner. We would like to ha for you to hear what Dr. Cooper has to say. And so uh, parents, if you need to drop off your JV team, uh, your JV student, feel free to drop them off and pick them up. And then also note that we will not be providing child care. Note for this uh, leadership dinner. No child care will be provided. Please provide your own. So that's very important. And you may have seen a link this week come through on the on the text from the church asking you to sign up. That's important because we need a head count for the dinner, right? So be sure to follow that link and sign up if you're planning on attending the leadership dinner. And we need you to have done that by this Sunday, the 18th would be the deadline. So if you're planning to come, we need your name and you know, and if your spouse is coming by this Sunday so we can have a head count for that dinner. Okay, so that's Friday night, uh, not this coming, but next, of the leadership, uh, for the leadership dinner. On Saturday morning, starting at 10 o'clock, Dr. Cooper will also be doing a session for the entire church on depression. And then a second session at 11 a.m. Saturday morning on anxiety. Okay, and that's for the entire church family, not leaders only, but for everyone. And then, of course, she will be speaking in the 11 o'clock service on Sunday. So that's going to be a big weekend for us, very important, very excited about it. It's going to benefit us. We will, we will benefit greatly and harvest much from Dr. Cooper's ministry. So make a note, put it on your schedule, and let's plan to be a part of that. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, most of you are still awake, so that's good. That's a good sign. Why don't you stand with me this evening, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to ask him to be with us tonight. If you have a need, make it known by the lifting of your hand, and let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer this evening. Jesus, we praise you this evening, Lord. We're thankful for your presence. Thank you for your hand on our life. Thank you, Lord, for leading us and guiding us. And we've come tonight with anticipation, knowing that your presence will be here, knowing Lord, that we will study your word together and harvest the riches of your word. I pray that what is done on the campus tonight will be anointed, Lord. Anoint our minds and hearts to receive. Anoint pastor to speak. Anoint kids' church, Sister Sandy and her team, Lord. Let everything be done to the glory of God and let it be done to the edification of your people. The needs that were uh, represented tonight, I pray you would move and work and that you would do what only you can do. We believe you, Lord. We trust you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, remain standing. Clap your hands to Jesus as pastor comes to the pulpit.
Good evening, everybody. Look at your neighbor and tell them I'm glad to see you. Thank the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, good to see all of you here tonight. And uh, so thankful that you chose to be in Bible study with us tonight. And I've been looking forward to coming tonight to uh, share with you the second half of what I started last Wednesday night. So um, I'm glad you're here and uh, thankful you came back for part two. Um, we talked about last Wednesday night personal values and um, <clears throat> I'm going to pick up where we where we left off um, last Wednesday night but I, I'd like to make a couple of comments first. I've asked this question in the past. As a matter of fact, I've asked this question several times in the past. When you go through a, a dark time in your life, when you go through a challenging time in your life, when events doesn't work out the way you would like, when plans doesn't work out the way we, you would like, when there's uh, difficulty, when there's challenges, when there's conflict, etc., when you learn of something negative that's just happened uh, pertaining you, your family, your friends, what have you, what is your immediate default? What, what process, where do you go in your, your mind? Where do you go literally in your brain and begin to process that? Um, what do you allow to determine your feelings, uh, what do you allow, what do you default to that, that helps determine your response, your reaction? Um, I've seen this all of my life and there's, there's, to me there's two things that happens. There's two defaults that people go to and this is very basic, very broad, but one, has to do with their experience. Well, let me say three things. I'm, I'm off my notes here. One can, can depend on your experience from the past. One can depend certainly on your maturity level. And then one can certainly depend on your character. But I wanted to redefine that just a little bit more to be uh, your personality traits, meaning that if you have a propensity to be hurt real easy, then you will default to that. When If you have a propensity to uh, get real angry when, when things negative or bad things happen, you'll default to that. Uh, if you have a propensity to want to isolate yourself or if, you, if your immediate default is to, well, I just give up and I'm just not going to try any more kind of things, that's what you default to. Again, I've seen this all of my life. Um, I remember as a child, and, and, and a lot of these things are natural. Um, certainly, if it's a time of tragedy, uh, we default to our emotional structure. And uh, some people will weep and cry and sob and sob. Other people will immediately go into shock and um, just kind of frozen, can't process uh, don't know what to say, don't know how to 
interpret the news you just got. Um, there's a number of ways that we react, uh, and I've asked this question before a couple of times. Is it possible that you could develop your relationship with God to the point where when you get bad news, negative things happen, you could default to the, the old uh, saying, what would Jesus do if he was in this situation? Um, could you default to, immediately default to scripture? What does the Bible say about this situation? Or could you immediately default to your prayer life and say, let me, before I formulate an opinion, before I cast judgment, uh, before I get too immersed in all of this, I want to go pray about it and see if the Lord will move on my heart one way or the other. And I can promise you if you're sincerely praying, <clears throat> sincerely praying, he will move on your heart. I, 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 want to, I wanted to preface part two of, of this Bible study with that statement with those questions, what do you default to? Um, we all know of people that's been hurt. Uh, they've been hurt by family. We know of people that's been hurt by churches. We know of people that's been hurt by pastors. I will readily admit that I have had more than my share of that uh, to the point where my regret tank just runs over all the time. I remember when we were being, when we were trying out for this church when it was in Baker 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago now, uh, going on 31 is when we tried out. There was about 12 people there. And um, they wanted me to come. Uh, I preached a Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, or yeah, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And they had an election the following week. And uh, I remember on Saturday night before church, they wanted us to come an hour, hour and a half early, whatever it was, and they wanted to ask us questions. And uh, I was all about that. And uh, I remember one man asked me if we ever have a prayer chain in this church where a person comes for 30 minutes or an hour and then another person comes and another person comes, would you put out a list for people to sign their name and when he asked that question, I knew there was something behind that, had no idea what, uh, but I knew there was a motive, immediately knew there was a motive behind that. And uh, I don't remember how I answered his question. Uh, it, it, it meant a lot to him, and I didn't want to just dismiss it as something trivial. But I, I said, well, it, it, you know, it would depend, and we want to have a prayer chain we'll get to know the nature of the church and get better acquainted and all that and, and and know how you're accustomed to operating and you know we could adapt accordingly it was something along that line I, and, and I've been asked several questions and then the room got quiet and um, I asked them I said I've been I've been very interested at the questions that you've asked because nobody's asked me about my marriage the shape of my marriage the condition of my marriage never asked me about finances you don't know if I file bankruptcy if I'm a terrible money guy to me the important questions um, 
nobody asked those questions. And I said, well, since you didn't ask, I'll go ahead and answer them anyway. Um, and when we came here all those years ago, we came here with a set of values. Sister Murphy and I did. And um, those values haven't changed. And I remember telling that small group of people that I said, as a pastor, uh, I will tell you that uh, I may hurt you in the future. Uh, don't mean to, don't plan to, but I'm human as much as anybody else, and it's possible that pastor may hurt your feelings. On occasions when that happens, I trust that you'll come talk to me about it and uh, what have you. And um, so I've had my share of, of hurting people, making comments, preaching certain things, this and that, and they actually have people leave the church over it. That's going to happen in any church environment you go to. It's going to be a part of any church environment. I don't know of a church anywhere. I've never, I've preached in 26 states. I don't know of any church environment anywhere that's just absolutely perfect. And as you would suffer no risk in going there and being hurt by anybody. But unfortunately tonight, we know of a lot of people, you do, I do, that will know, said they will never darken another church door because they were hurt by somebody. And um, they were hurt by the pastor, the people at the church, whoever it was, and they'll never go back to church again. And that hurt becomes bitterness. What those people do, the point for that long rambling, I'm completely off of my notes right now. The point for that is when things happen to people, it is imperative that you know what you're going to default to and the way you interpret what happened, the way you process what happened, the way you negotiate in your mind what happened. If you can, if you can default to the Bible, default to your prayer closet, default to your wisdom, knowledge, and experience, more than likely you will be able to work through that situation and come out fine. Amen. So with that 10-minute off-my-notes presentation, I want to draw, I want to continue tonight to pick up where we left off that last Wednesday night, talking to you about personal values. Everybody has to have them. It would be interesting if you've been married for, say, five years or more. If you've been married five years or more on your anniversary to talk to your spouse about our values as a married couple, as a family, and have they changed since we've been married? Have they gotten better or have we declined in our value structure? Um, maybe after the birth of your first child, uh, you could have a conversation with your spouse and say, since we've become parents, have our values gotten better or have they declined? Uh, I think if we would have these conversations with one another, sometimes um, we, we would remind ourselves of things we need to shore up and then things we can feel 
if you will, proud of that we've maintained our, our value standard. We've maintained what we believe, and, and we still live that. We still believe that. We're teaching our kids that, and so on. We, we must define, when it comes to personal values, what will not and cannot change. And you establish that. You establish that in your marriage. You establish that in your home. And God knows we're doing the best we can here at Grace Church to establish it, keep those things um, as they should be on a church level. As we mentioned last Wednesday night, we know that as far as all churches, virtually all churches, methodology has changed. Pastors, church leaders are using different methods and what have you, and I'm all good with that. I'm all good with that. But our values can never change. Our values can never change. Paul lived a life of integrity. After his conversion, blameless before God and man, he walked and worked among men with a clear conscience. And we've, we learned that men of integrity possess a strong, upright, and blameless character. Men and women of integrity possess a strong, upright, and blameless character. It has been said the measure of a man's or woman's real character is what he or she would do if he or she would, be, would never be found out. Somebody said the habits and the framework of our lives should always be decent and blameless. Someone is always watching. And that is true. D.L. Moody said, character is what you become in the dark. Somebody else said, what is character is made in the small amounts, in the small moments of our lives. So anytime you break a moral principle, you break a small crack in the foundation of your integrity. And when times get tough, it becomes harder to act with integrity, not easier. Character isn't created in a crisis. It only comes to light in a crisis. When crises and problems come, they reveal what we have become. When crises and problems come, they reveal what we have become. We either become stronger or weaker in such times. And trials can become opportunities that build us up are temptations that pull us down. It's an old story, but because the scorpion was a poor swimmer, he asked the turtle one day to carry him across a river. And the turtle said, are you crazy? He said, uh, you'll sting me while I'm swimming and I'll drown. The scorpion laughed at that and said, my dear turtle, if I were to sting you, you would drown, and I would also drown with you. Now, that wouldn't make sense, would it? The scorpion climbed onto the back, climbed aboard on the back of the turtle, and halfway across the river gave the turtle a mighty sting. And as they both sank to the bottom, the confused turtle asked, You mind if I ask you something? You said there would be no sense in you stinging me. Why did you do it? The scorpion said it has nothing to do with whether it makes sense or not. It's just my character. 
An accurate phrase depicting integrity is purity and wholeness of heart. And it is essential, it's an essential quality for Christian people. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For they shall see God. What's the reciprocal of that statement? If you're not pure in heart, you're going to have a hard time seeing God. Those revelatory moments where God really shows himself and reveals himself to you. The wise man said in Proverbs 11 verse 3, The integrity of the upright shall guide them. The integrity of upright, of upright people. Integrity will be your guide when you are an upright person, full of character, and so on. The wise man went on to say that he, he, he advised, he counseled, if you will. He said, keep your heart with all diligence. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. The NIV said, above all else, guard your heart, for it, for it is the wellspring of life. Listen to pastor tonight. It's easy to say guard your heart, but it's harder to accomplish, is it not? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to accomplish it. It's a, for sure an easier said than done. It is a daily discipline to maintain a pure heart. I don't want to bore you with a lot of one-liners here tonight, but I actually have 22 of them that I want to share with you on this subject, and I feel like it's necessary and it's an important part of the success of maintaining a pure heart. It's, it's giving you the success of maintaining a pure heart. How do you do it? I'm fixing to tell you how to be successful and maintaining a pure heart, first and foremost, is to love God. Love God. And if you love God, you will act like you love God. You will want to please Him. Amen. And then it's important to love His people. And I know we have a, a tendency sometimes to be just a tad judgmental and look across the aisle, kind of like the Pharisee did and Talked about the poor guy on the corner that he's not nearly as good as me. And that guy needs to clean up his act. And that woman over there needs to, they, they need a good praying through the Holy Ghost. When you start thinking like that, you're the one that needs the praying through to the Holy Ghost. Love God and his people. Number two, discipline yourself to please God. <clears throat> we believe in holiness standards at Grace Church. If you love God, that's not a problem for you because you will want to please Him. We're going to be teaching on that in the next Wednesday night or two, by the way, Lord willing. Discipline yourself to please God. Number three, follow peace and holiness. If you want to maintain a pure heart, follow peace and holiness. Number four, maintain a God focus. Don't ever let God get out of focus. Don't ever look at Him from some place in your life where he's not in clear focus, if you do and you see God is out of focus, you need to shift where you are in life so you can have a clear focus of him. Number five is to heed God's word. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? 
that I might not sin against thee. Number six is to hate evil. Hate evil. When you look around and see what evil does to people, evil's not easy to hate. It's not when you see the toll it takes in people's lives. Number seven, think about the right things. The writer of the New Testament said that, to think, well, whatever's pure and whatever's honest and so on. Think about the right things. When junk comes into your head, start thinking about something else. If you're disciplined enough, you can do that. You don't have to dwell on bad thoughts. Number eight, stay accountable to an accountability partner. Your spouse or you don't have a spouse, your spouse isn't where they need to be either, whatever. Um, pick somebody in a leadership role at the church to be accountable to. Um, I, I noticed, I saw Sister Merv with my phone this morning. I'd gotten a text and she just went ahead and pulled my phone up, read the text and went ahead and answered it. And um, I appreciated the help. But you know what was wonderful? I didn't have one thing to worry about. Her seeing something on my phone that she shouldn't be seeing. Accountability. Accountability. Thank the Lord. Uh, so stay accountable. Number nine, preserve the word of God in your heart. Preserve it. You think about it, you meditate on it, you preserve it. You remain in touch with God through prayer, fasting, Bible study, and attending church. I'm going to get into some of this with my Sunday school class this coming Sunday. Uh, remain in touch with God through prayer and fasting, personal Bible study, and attending church service. Number 10, folks, listen to Pastor tonight. Please listen. Do not allow a root of bitterness to enter into your life. When you can't come to God, when you can't come to church, when you can't be around your family comfortably because they're in a good relationship with God, there's something going on in your heart that you need to deal with. There's something you need to work with. And you can blame it on me. You can blame it on anybody here. But bottom line, the problem is when the, is the guy you see looking in the mirror back at you. Amen. Church isn't perfect. Nobody's perfect. And we cannot allow ourselves to become bitter over the actions and, and words and all of that that people make and, and, and all of that. We, we, our Savior is God. If you're going to be saved, you're going to have to please Him. Uh, we need to understand that. Number 11, beware of the little foxes that spoil the vine. The wise man said. Do not allow little things to come into your life that could grow into gigantic problems tomorrow. My daddy died of cancer in 1973. It consumed most of his digestive system. His stomach, most of his stomach, intestines, pancreas, uh, gallbladder, all of that. All of that. The doctor told us that it started off the size of a dime. Had they known back then, they may have, could, have, could have caught it, treated it, and what have you. They didn't have all the technology back then. But it killed him. It started off the size of a dime in his pancreas. That's what hurt becomes. And bitterness takes you over. Don't let it happen. You're miserable for the rest of your life when you're bitter. And you'll do your best to make everybody else around you miserable. Don't let it happen. Don't let it. It's not worth it. It's not worth going to hell and being lost over somebody that did something stupid or unwise and what have you. 
Number 12, be careful of what you allow to enter through the five senses. We had a little joke we would tell when we were kids. Would you rather be dead or have seven holes in your head or dead? Nobody said, I'd rather be dead. I'd rather have seven holes in my head. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Y'all ever hear that joke? If you haven't, you're welcome. That's right. Be careful of what you allow to enter through the eyes, your ears, what you touch, what you taste, what you smell. Be careful with that. It's where it's great to have the word of God deep down on the inside of you. Number 13, God help us tonight, exercise self-control. This is where the Bible teaches to deny yourself and take up the cross. It, it, it's, you, you learn how to be disciplined. You learn how to exercise self-control. I say it here frequently. I've not said it so much in the immediate past as I did last year, but we, we just sometimes need to learn how to keep our dumb mouth shut. Don't say anything stupid. Don't do anything stupid. Think, think before you act. Exercise self-control. This is what I was talking about earlier. You default to what would Jesus do. You default to what you know in the Word of God. You default to your prayer life, etc. This one's a tough one. Number 14 is to die daily to the flesh. Crucify the flesh. Don't cave in to the flesh, to the desires of the flesh, but walk in the Spirit. Number 15, avoid, we just talked about this, but avoid the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Stay away from places of temptation. Stay away from places of temptation. I'm just going to say it straight up. If you have a, a weakness for alcohol, stay away from it. It's becoming common in Pentecostal ranks, I understand. Hopefully not here at Grace Church, but I understand that social drinking has been embraced by some. That it's okay. Social drinking is a gateway to drinking more. If nicotine is a temptation to you, stay away from it. Um, there's places of business that, that we, we go to every once in a while where people are smoking outside the door. I've learned to just go around. I'll just walk around. I'll make a big to-do. And you just go way around it. And when I get close to the door, I do this. get inside the door I have to smell it pretty easy ain't it took care of that didn't I you can too that's right if I see somebody walking around out in the middle of a parking lot I just say they're going around the smoking people whatever it takes number 16 is a hard one don't get involved in gossip or backbiting it pulls down integrity an old saying back a number of years ago, somebody walk up and want to gossip at you, just say, my ears aren't garbage can. Uh, kind of harsh, but it gets the point across. Uh, stay away from that. If what you're saying about people isn't true and you don't know it to be true, keep your dumb mouth shut. Uh, number 17, flee fornication. The Bible said to flee fornication. This is illicit sexual activity. Primarily before marriage, but I believe it has a bigger umbrella than what we think. Um, I'm telling you, you're wise. You're wise to flee fornication. You're wise. S stay away from it. Number 18, resist the devil. I've heard people say, what if you're living with the devil? 
you had an opportunity to resist that at some point in your life, and you chose not to do it, so you deal with that. So I don't know what to say. I'm teasing. Resist the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you, the Bible said. Number 19, know yourself and your areas of susceptibility. Everybody is tempted in some area. I met a fellow preacher in a casino in Marksville for lunch. And I was not tempted. These people sat at them machines and their eyes are glazed over. I'm like, well, their right arm's getting a lot of exercise. Well, there ain't nothing happening in that little tray down there below them about where their knees are. That doesn't tempt me. The only machine I'll put money in is an ATM machine. And it gives me the same amount back. Okay, we'll keep moving on with that. Um, know your areas of susceptibility. I'm, I'm trying to be a little light and comical with this, but everybody is tempted in some area. And stay away. And by the way, I've not been back to the casino to answer that question. I did feel convicted for even having lunch in the place. Number 20, set a standard, a code of conduct for yourself in accordance with the word of God. This should be predetermined so that when temptations come, you have already made the decision of what to do. You don't have to decide in the moment. You've already decided. Set a, a standard, a code of conduct for yourself that's in accordance with the word of God. Number 21, remind yourself of your position in God. You are a child of God. You are a person of God. Joseph of the Old Testament wanted to preserve his relationship with God and his master. Therefore, he would not commit adultery with Potiphar's wife. He walked away, wise man. You say, well, look what happened to him. Yeah, finish the story of what happened to him. And look where he ended up at finally. Amen. Remind yourself of who you are, of what your identity is. You're a child of God. You're a person of God, and we need to remember that. Everywhere we go, everything we do. And number 22 is God will always provide a way of escape in everything that I've said. Somebody said one time where God closes a door somewhere, he always opens a window. God will always find, help you find, will direct you out of a problem, a challenge, a difficulty. If you'll give him an opportunity to this whole, this whole thing I've just presented, these 22 things. If you could make this your default when things happen to you, then you can go through these things in a godly manner. The Bible said, he who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. I want to conclude tonight with a story, and it's, it's a little bit of a story, but it's, it, it, it resonated with me so much, and, and I, I just want to share it with you tonight. One of the largest bells, a bell, ding-dong bell, one of the largest bells in the world lies on a pedestal located on the grounds of Moscow's Kremlin. Cast in 1735 at the, at the request of Empress Anna Iov of Novna. 
received the Holy Ghost saying that name. She was a niece of Peter the Great. And she requested that this big, great, big bell uh, be made. In the process of making this bell, it, it suffered a long list of misfortunes. The difficulty in casting such a large bell was blamed for the death of the father of the Motorin family. Uh, the head of that household was a Russian craftsman, and he was the one actually making the bell, and a fire came through and destroyed the derrick that was to lift the bell from its cast. So that happened in the making of this bell. A second fire ravaged the area surrounding the bell in 1737, two years after uh, Peter the Great allowed it to be made. Um, the heat from the fire caused a portion of the bell to shatter. And so today, the 11-ton broken piece lies beside the bell's pedestal. The bronze bell itself is estimated to weigh between 200 and 216 tons. Stands about 20.1 feet high with a diameter of about 21.6 feet. It is sometimes referred to as the royal bell. Two prior attempts to cast such a tremendous bell failed. And the bronze from those castings was used in the creation of the present bell. That Moscow has there now. So for a portion of its history, the bell served as a small chapel with people entering and exiting the large opening that was created when it shattered by the fire. This is one of the largest bells in the world that's ever been created. And here's the story. It has never been rung. I can get emotional talking about this, but I know of a lot of church people that have had potential, promise, as much hope in their future and their relationship with God as anybody I've ever known. And something happened to them and they default to the wrong source for reconciliation and restoration. And their, their bell goes unrung for the rest of their life. Never able to make a comeback. I also know people that if you ever wanted, if I can use this as a typology, but if you ever wanted a bell in your steeple at your church, I know scores of people that would have served that role so well and, and did. When church would start, they would be working the crowd. It'd be the people up here. They'd be the people back there. You could, you could hear their bell ringing everywhere they went, if you will. But something happens. And you never hear that bell ring again. You never hear that testimony. You never hear that song sung. Not like they did it. You never hear that instrument played. Not like they did it. You, you never feel that warm handshake out in the lobby, not like they did it. You never see that warm smile, not like they did it. It's because a fire came through. 
and took away their ability to read. Folks, with everything I have on the inside of me tonight, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching personal values. Things are going to happen to us. Things have happened to me. Things have happened to me with church people. Things have happened to me with preachers. The whole thing. And I could choose to step down and nurture and, and, and whine and moan all of my hurts and refuse to be wrung again by the presence of God. But I determined a long time ago, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to work through it. And when I have an opportunity, I want my bell for Jesus to ring as loud as it can and to be everything I can for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. If you establish values, establish them in your heart, establish them in your mind so that when things happen, you're not just completely blown away. When the fires come through, it can destroy your foundation, but it doesn't mean you can't rebuild that foundation. You, you, we have to learn how to bounce back and to be that person, those people that God wants us to, to be. So let me conclude with this. I want you to notice the morals in our country, the values of the United States. The morals in our country over the past 100 years, having a sexual relationship before marriage 100 years ago was virtually unheard of. Having a sexual relationship outside of marriage was unheard of a hundred years ago. Homosexuality was virtually unheard of a hundred years ago. A woman getting pregnant out of wedlock was, was really unacceptable a hundred years ago. I know several stories from my childhood uh, that's very dear to my heart concerning these things where people's lives were destroyed in one single night of passion. Then cheating on your spouse became a little more prevalent during World War II when all the men, a lot, most of the men and some women, but mostly men were overseas. Then in the 1950s, getting married as a virgin was becoming unacceptable. And everyone knows where we are today. My point is, and I started this, uh, I ended last Wednesday night with this statement, it took about four generations for America to decline to where it is today. At our current level of Christian commitment, where will the church be in the next two, three, four generations if the Lord tarries? I'm pleading with Grace Church tonight. Establish your value system. Let it be God-based. Let it be Bible-centered, etc. And you stand on that. No matter what happens, you stand on that. If there's things that you're not, that you're not doing that could please God, change it. If there's things that you are doing that's not pleasing to God, change it. We need to be in alignment with the Word of God. I've said it over and over. When you stand before God, you're going to be judged according to the Word of God, not your culture, not your mom and daddy, not your church family and all that. You're going to be judged according to the Word of God. And we all have a personal responsibility to be what God wants us to be. I love Grace Church. I'm thankful for the path we're on. God is amazing in this place. Yes, He is. And I love him dearly, and so do you. Let's stand tonight and give the Lord some praise for his word, for his spirit, for loving us, for forgiving us, for making us into what we are. We love you, Jesus. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your presence in our lives. We worship you tonight. We praise you in Jesus' name.
in Jesus' name. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Uh, remember all of our announcements. Those of you leadership people, please uh, respond to the link you've been sent to be a part of our dinner a week from this coming Friday night. Remember church is coming Sunday. Let's have a great time. What do you say? God bless you. Fellowship with one another. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Trust me. So I lift my hands as I.